we've been over this chart so many times here that um, uh, we talked about the splitting of the kingdoms and the northern tribes taken off in the Assyrian captivities. So, and we've dealt with all of the prophets and the books during this time. Okay, and so we have the Assyrians, and then we move on. Now we just have Judah and Benjamin. Okay, and we have this period of time coming down to the Babylonian captivity. And so we just kind of want to put this in context. Uh, it's not completely clear exactly when Habakkuk was written. Okay, but it's, it's sometime uh, in here. We, so we want to have in mind here the, the Assyrians, now the Babylonians. Uh, we talked uh, recently about uh, Nahum. Remember, like uh, Jonah, a uh, prophet to Nineveh, capital of Assyria. This was destroyed in 612. And I highlighted 605 here uh, for a couple reasons. Um, this was the first of the three uh, invasions by the Babylonians of Jerusalem. So Daniel was taken out in the first invasion, then Ezekiel, then Jeremiah. And also in 605, uh, we have the uh, Egyptians uh, defeated by the, uh, uh, the Babylonians. Okay, so the Babylonians are kind of the, the subject here of the book of um, Habakkuk. Okay, so this is how this book opens up. <clears throat> o Lord, how long must I call for help before you listen? Uh, where else do we hear this cry in the Bible? How long? Well, this is from the, the book of Revelation. How long? How long must I call for help before you listen? Before you save us from violence? Why do you make me see such trouble? How can you stand to look on such wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are all around me, and there's fighting and quarreling everywhere. The law is weak and useless, and justice is never done. Evil people get the better of the righteous, and so justice is perverted. Okay, so we have um, Habakkuk kind of, um, in a sense, making a, a, a challenge here to God, questioning, uh, can't make sense of it. And uh, so we have this interesting back and forth here between Habakkuk and God. God responds. Now the Lord said to his people, Keep watching the nations around you, and you will be astonished at what you see. I am going to do something that you will not believe when you hear about it. And do you think when Habakkuk um, heard this reply that uh, his hopes were getting up? Okay, God's going to do something. We'll be astonished at what's going to happen. Okay, and, but I think as, as God goes on, I think uh, Habakkuk is rather deflated here. I am bringing the Babylonians to power those fierce, restless people. They are marching out across the world to conquer other lands. They spread fear and terror, and in their pride, they are a law to themselves. Their horses are faster than leopards, fiercer than hungry wolves. Their cavalry troops come riding from distant lands. Their horses paw the ground. They come swooping down like eagles, attacking their prey. Their armies advance in violent conquest, and everyone is terrified as they approach. Hey, what's going through Habakkuk's mind here? Is this an answer to his question? Their captives are as numerous as grains of sand. They treat kings with contempt and laugh at high officials. No fortress can stop them. They pile up earth against it and capture it. They sweep past like the wind and are gone, but they are deeply guilty for their own strength is their God. Okay, so how do we make sense out of God's reply? Here to, Jack, Jeremiah, uh, to uh, Habakkuk. Almost seems like, you know what? It's going to get a lot worse. Habakkuk. Well, Habakkuk responds, Lord, from the very beginning, you are God. You are my God, holy and eternal. Lord, my God and protector, you have chosen the Babylonians. Is this a question? You have chosen the Babylonians? 
and made them strong so that they can punish us? How can you stand these treacherous, evil men? Your eyes are too holy to look, look at evil, and you cannot stand the sight of people doing wrong. So why are you silent while they destroy people who are more righteous than they are? How can you treat people like fish or like a swarm of insects that have no ruler to direct them? Very, again, very pointed response here from Habakkuk. How can you treat people like fish? How can you use an evil people um, to, uh, is this accomplishing your will? What, what is happening here? He goes on, the Babylonians catch people with hooks as though they were fish. They drag them off in nets and shout for joy over their catch. They even worship their nets and offer sacrifices to them because their nets provide them with the best of everything. Are they going to use their swords forever and keep on destroying nations without mercy? Okay, this um, very obvious from Bacchus' reply. This was not a satisfactory answer. Okay, and um, so then... Habakkuk says, I will climb my watchtower and wait to see what the Lord will tell me to say and what answer he will give to my complaint. And so imagine him walking up here at his watchtower. Okay, and, and let's see. Do you think he's a little apprehensive? You know, maybe he pushed it too far. Okay, well, I'm going to read this in, uh, in the Message Bible. Uh, I think the version I chose uh, is perhaps almost a little tame for, for Habakkuk's response to God. And so let's just read it one more time here in this paraphrase, uh, the Message Bible. God, you're from eternity, aren't you? Holy God, we aren't going to die, are we? God, you chose Babylonians for your judgment work? Rock-solid God, you gave them the job of discipline? But you can't be serious. You can't condone evil. So why don't you do something about this? Why are you silent now? This outrage, evil men swallow up the righteous, and you stand around and watch. You're treating men and women as so many fish in the ocean, swimming without direction, swimming but not getting anywhere. Then this evil Babylonian arrives and goes fishing. He pulls in a good catch. He catches his limit and fills his creel. A good day of fishing. He's happy. He praises his rod and reel, piles his fishing gear on an altar and worships it. It's made his day and he's going to eat well tonight. Are you going to let this go on and on? Will you let this Babylonian fisherman fish like a weekend angler, killing people as if they're nothing but fish? What's God going to say to my questions? I'm braced for the worst. I'll climb the lookout tower and scan the horizon. I'll wait to see what God says, how he'll answer my complaint. Okay, there's no way you could get this uh, from the Hebrew, but I think you get the point here. Um, Habakkuk is troubled, and what God is doing makes no sense to him. Um, I think it's worthwhile, just as a kind of a parenthetical uh, little comment. Uh, we've mentioned this uh, through the Old Testament here the last um, two years, every time we've had a chance. Uh, but it is quite interesting how uh, God's friends um, in the Bible, the ones that he praises the most, um, often have this kind of a dialogue with God. And we sometimes think, well, you, you know, you can't talk with God that way. But uh, what do you think about Moses' words? Moses turned to the Lord and said, Lord... Why do you mistreat your people? Why did you send me here? Ever since I went to the king to speak for you, he has treated them cruelly, and you have done nothing to help them. Okay, and we might expect here, you know, Exodus 5.24, how dare you speak with me that way, Moses. But it's never that way. God almost seems to appreciate when people are troubled by things, and they talk with him about it. Moses here again, uh, very honest with God. Okay, we give lots of examples of this. I'll just give uh, uh, two more. Abraham, 
You know, who's trumpeted in the Old Testament so much? It's, it's Abraham, you know, God's friend. I remember when, Ab- when God came to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. I mean, Abraham essentially said, uh, we can't do that. Surely you won't kill the innocent with the guilty. That's impossible. You can't do that. If you did, the innocent would be punished along with the guilty. That's impossible. The judge of all the earth has to act justly. Okay, again, these are, these are very strong words, but I think it's an encouragement to us I mean, we see things all the time, of course, as physicians in the hospital, things that are uh, hard to explain, okay? Um, And I I think God at that moment wants us to talk with him about it. We don't understand, but I think we have good biblical evidence here um, for really putting our questions to God. And, of course, the best example of all, Job. Okay, we spent uh, two Bible studies on Job, and, and this is probably more tame than some of his other comments to God. But he said, I still rebel and complain against God. I cannot keep from groaning. How I wish I knew where to find him and knew how to go where he is. I would state my case before him and present all the arguments in my favor. I want to know what he would say and how he would answer me. Would God use all his strength against me? No, he would listen as I spoke. I am honest. I could reason with God. He would declare me innocent once and for all. Of course, we get to the end of the book of Job and... God says, Job has said of me what is right. Okay, so uh, again, we, we have a, a lot of, um, if we're reading the Bible as a story, um, I think we have these compelling uh, real-life illustrations of people uh, who talked with God this way. All right, so we come back here to uh, Habakkuk, who's in his watchtower. Okay, we're going to try to make sense of God's response. It's actually something that is, um, boy, one of the most central verses that Paul uses uh, in the New Testament. Okay, so I think it's important we're trying to understand um, God's response to Habakkuk. So the Lord gave me this answer. Write down clearly on tablets what I reveal to you so that it can be read at a glance. Put it in writing because it is not yet time for it to come true. But the time is coming quickly and what I show you will come true. Notice how many times it's going to happen. It will come true. It may seem slow in coming, but wait for it. It will certainly take place, and it will not be delayed. What's he talking about? And this is the message. Okay, and then these should sound like familiar words to you. Those who are evil will not survive, but those who are righteous will live because they are faithful to God. Okay, now our question is, uh, what did this mean to Habakkuk? You know, God comes and builds up here a lot of suspense. Something's going to happen. Okay, now write this down. Those evil people. Yeah, it seems like the Babylonians are winning now. Okay, things, things don't look good. But, you know, those evil people, they will not survive. And there's a contrast here. The righteous will live because they're faithful to God. Okay, well, I think we need to read on to, to try to answer that. But I just put up a few other translations of this. Okay, the NIV, New American Standard, English Standard, the righteous will live by his faith. NRSV, the righteous will live by their faith. Okay, they're all uh, similar. The New Living Translation, I, I kind of like the, their contrast here. Look at the proud, they trust in themselves. And their lives are crooked. But the righteous will live by their faithfulness or by their trust to God, trust in God. Okay, so uh, at least as, as I was reading uh, the book of Habakkuk this week, it kind of seemed to me that when, after we have this, this key verse here in Habakkuk, that we have this uh, expansion. 
that God is going to describe the evil people, the proud people, the people who worship their nets, the trust in power, and so on, versus the people who put their trust in God. Okay, so the, the description here first, uh, well, if I could just maybe make, paint a big picture, the, the word we want to use for this in Habakkuk, it's theodicy. This is the question of, you know, an all-powerful God in a world of suffering. Okay, and so it, just in a condensed form, I would see what we've read so far like this. Habakkuk says, God, you have the power. Why don't you do something to correct the great injustice in the world? And God's response is, it'll get worse. Here come the Babylonians. And then Habakkuk says, how can you treat people like fish? How can you allow the most wicked and the most godless people to punish? And then God's response, perhaps we, this is, I shouldn't put quotes here. This is just my own uh, summary of this. But God's response essentially is, I will do something that has not yet come true. Wait for it. In the meantime, write this down and follow it. Those who are right with me, those who are righteous, will trust in me until it comes. Okay, so that's kind of the the paradigm here that uh, we're going to follow for this. Okay, so again, what's the problem for Habakkuk? The problem for Habakkuk is that God's ways don't make sense. Uh, God's trustworthiness, his faithfulness, his character. Could we say all of these things are kind of uh, in question for Habakkuk? That's what he's asking about. And again, I said this is uh, just so practical um, for us. Uh, We see things that just don't make sense. You know, a child gets killed by a drunk driver. How do we explain that? Um, uh, This picture that uh, I've showed you before, uh, the photographer here, Kevin Carter, who took this in the Sudan, he won a Pulitzer Prize, actually, for his uh, photography work of uh, the the horrible suffering and starvation um, in that country, um, committed suicide about a year after um, he took this picture. Okay, so uh, we all struggle. We all should struggle with um, Habakkuk's questions. Okay? Patience will ask. This doesn't make sense. Why is this happening to me? So, so we want to grapple with this. And so as I said, Habakkuk 2.4 is kind of a contrast between two groups of people. Okay? But the righteous will live by their faithfulness to God. So if we just read on, then we have a description. It's kind of like, uh, you know, I think God is saying, okay, the people who seem like they're winning right now, uh, let me just describe things a little bit. Uh, about those people. Wealth is deceitful. Greedy people are proud and restless, like death itself. They are never satisfied. That is why they conquer nation after nation for themselves. That's what the Babylonians are doing. But you are doomed. You have made your family rich with what you took by violence and have tried to make your own home safe from harm and danger. But your schemes have brought shame on your family. By destroying many nations, you have only brought ruin on yourself. Even the stones of the walls cry out against you. And the rafters echo the cry. You are doomed. You founded a city on crime and built it up by murder. What's the use of an idol? It's only something that a human being has made and it tells you nothing but lies. What good does it do for its maker to trust it? A god that can't even talk. Okay, so we have a a description of that side. Okay, the side that looks like they're winning now, uh, they're they're actually on the losing side. And then this verse that just kind of stands out in a very dramatic way as a contrast to that. Okay, the familiar words that probably we associate with Isaiah, but here it is in Habakkuk. But the earth will be as full of the knowledge of the Lord's glory as the seas are full of water. Now, isn't this, isn't this kind of um, 
a promise. You know, Habakkuk's question is about God's goodness, his faithfulness, his trustworthiness, his character. And we have this promise here. But well, the earth will be as full of the knowledge of the Lord's glory as the seas are full of water. Um, we've talked about this word glory many times in the Bible study, that uh, this has to do with more than a brightness or a splendor. Jesus came to reveal God's glory. You know, he didn't walk around as a bright super being. Okay, that the glory here really is, is referring to the person of God, the character. And that in the end, Habakkuk, you know, all of your questions here about God, in the end, the earth will be as full of the knowledge of God, God's glory. Okay, we will understand. It will make sense. God's character, uh, in a sense, will be vindicated um, here at this, at this future point in time. <clears throat> and it seems like it worked, because this is how the book of Habakkuk ends. Okay, Habakkuk struggles, but notice how he concludes the book. Even if the fig tree does not bloom and the vines have no grapes, even if the olive tree fails to produce and the fields yield no food, even if the sheep pen is empty and the stalls have no cattle, even then I will be happy with the Lord. I will truly find joy in God who saves me. The Lord Almighty is my strength. He makes my feet like those of a deer. He makes me walk on the mountains. So, um, you know, doesn't it, it seems rather compelling to me that Habakkuk here, his complaint, in the end he's saying, okay, I might suffer and I might uh, have want of food and all kinds of things, but you know what, even if uh, I'm still going to trust God. And I, I think that was God's message to Habakkuk. Yeah, it'll get worse. Okay, something good's going to happen in the future. But in the meantime, trust me. And that's what I see Habakkuk concluding. Okay, even if all of that, um, I'm going to still put my trust in God. Okay, so now we come here to, um, <clears throat> uh, to the book of Romans. But first, to, perhaps I could just say as a, as a conclusion of what we said so far, that the righteous person will live because they put their complete trust in God, despite the circumstances, despite uncertainty, despite unanswered questions. Okay, we all have unanswered questions. Okay, but the question is, do we have enough evidence to trust in God? Uh, do we have more than Habakkuk, perhaps? And uh, this, this issue of trust, that God is asking Habakkuk, trust me anyway, please. Uh, that, that's so central. Abraham put his trust in the Lord. And because of this, the Lord is pleased with him and accepted him. This just seems to me like um, it, it's kind of a bottom line thing. Okay, important in everything else. Are, are we really putting our trust in God? And what has God done to try to restore um, our trust in him? I think that's what Paul addresses in Romans. Similar to Job, Habakkuk's conclusion. Job would say, though he slay me, yet I will trust him. Okay, that's really remarkable when someone, despite the circumstances, you know, still maintains their trust in God. Okay, so here, New Testament. And Paul here, the, Romans 1.17, this is such a, a key. It's kind of like the condensed thesis for the whole book. And Paul would quote Habakkuk, as the scripture says, the just or the righteous shall live by their faith. Okay, and Romans 1.17, he quotes Habakkuk in Galatians 3.11 and in Hebrews. Okay, it's kind of like uh, the New Testament needed three books to explain one verse uh, in the Old Testament. The question is, what do these words mean? You know, we, we tend to uh, read this verse in isolation from Habakkuk. The uh, question is, uh, did, um, did Paul have Habakkuk in mind? Did he just find a verse that he liked? 
And he said, yeah, I can work with that. And he pulled it out, and we're not supposed to take in the context of Habakkuk at all. Or did Paul want us to understand the context of Habakkuk? And so, um, you know, this verse is, is often read, well, a couple of interpretations. Do we understand this as those who are legally forgiven because of their faith will live? They are justified or declared righteous? Okay, uh, was that the meaning to Habakkuk? Or a similar meaning, if you are justified or declared righteous, then you will be able to live eternally because of your faith. Um, again, does that address Habakkuk's question to God? Um, you know, maybe we need a new paradigm here for understanding what Paul is really talking about. And so I think perhaps we could say that Romans is very much, when Paul wrote this, had Habakkuk's question in mind, and that he is expanding, perhaps clarifying or answering uh, this, this dilemma that Habakkuk has. Okay, so it'll be a while before we get to Romans, but let me just pick out a few excerpts here. Romans opens, From Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and appointed to spread the good news of God. God had already promised this good news through his prophets and the Holy Scriptures. This good news is about his son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, notice the, the good news is about a person. Good news is about his son. Okay, and here we come here, I'm including verse 16 now, where Paul would say, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is God's power for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Okay, so notice here, what is the gospel? Okay, it's God's power to save. And then Paul would say, For the righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel. Now, righteousness is a big um, a word here, a Latin word. What does that mean, Righteousness. The righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel. Uh, this is pretty significant. We talk about the good news a lot, the gospel. Uh, what is the good news? Well, it's a revelation of God's righteousness. Um, could we say God's trustworthiness, God's goodness, uh, God's character? Could we, could we incorporate some of these uh, meanings into an understanding of God's righteousness, that the gospel reveals the righteousness of God. And then Paul would go on from faith to faith, just as it is written, and the just as it is written is Habakkuk. The righteous by faith will live. Okay, and so this verse, which is is controversial, it can be translated in different ways, but we can see here a number of familiar um, conservative translations have said, for in, in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. So, you know, the gospel reveals something about God. And again, the, the good news is about God, is about his son. And the, the gospel here, we can see that the result of it is the righteousness by faith, or the righteous by faith will live. It, it stimulates trust. Okay, again, that was the message um, to Habakkuk. Okay, so the, as it is written here, it's just significant that we read that verse with Habakkuk uh, in mind. Okay, that Habakkuk's cry, how long? God, why do you seem to idly look by? That we want to incorporate that theodicy question into Paul's description here of the good news. Okay, so uh, Richard Hayes and um, uh, Dr. Tonstead, who's here, is... Um, I've, very much appreciated the things that he's written about this as well, but he came to our campus uh, last school year and um, has written a lot about this that's been helpful to me. And he would say thus, when Paul quotes Habakkuk 2.4, we cannot help hearing the echoes unless we are tone deaf 
of Habakkuk's theodicy question by showcasing this text virtually as an epigraph at the beginning of the letter to Romans, Paul links his gospel to the Old Testament prophetic affirmation of God's justice and righteousness. In other words, it's, it's related. We, we need to see it in that context. And when Dr. Hayes was here, um, and I about levitated when he said this during a lecture, it was, it was very exciting here. He's summarizing the book of Romans, and I frantically wrote this down, and he put together Romans this way. Many people have misread the book of Romans as a book that explains how we can legally get to heaven. This interpretation, however, misses the central question that Paul is answering in this book. And that central question is this. Can God be trusted? Okay. Isn't that the question that, we've, that Habakkuk is struggling with? Paul is trying to answer uh, this question. Okay, And so much of Romans, uh, we, can, we can read in that context, just reading on uh, into Romans 3. Okay, and Paul would say, true, some of them were unfaithful. Yes, we've been unfaithful. We haven't represented God very well. But just because they were unfaithful, does that mean God will be unfaithful? Isn't the, the subject still here God's faithfulness, God's goodness? Does that mean God will be unfaithful? Of course not. Even if everyone else is a liar, God is true. As the scriptures say about him, you will be proved right in what you say. You will win your case in court. Again, it is, it is a vindication um, here of God's character. You will be proved right in what you say. You will win your case in court. That's the subject uh, in Romans. And so I'm sorry for all of the, the yellow here, but uh, I was just uh, impressed here that what is called the, the key section here in Romans 3, 21 to 26. And uh, it, it's, it's really compact. It's, um, it's difficult. I only want to make one point from this, and that is the, the repetition of one theme uh, that Paul has here. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been disclosed or revealed. Namely, the righteousness of God through the faithfulness of Jesus Christ for all who believe. God publicly displayed him at his death as the mercy seat, accessible through faith. Okay, what do we see at the cross? This was to demonstrate his righteousness. Because God in his forbearance had passed over the sins previously committed, this was also to demonstrate his righteousness. I mean, how repetitive here. I mean, what does Paul say here four times? The righteousness of God, the righteousness of God. This was to demonstrate the righteousness of God. What about the cross? This was to demonstrate his righteousness. Okay, so it is through the, the faithfulness of Jesus. Jesus is the revealer of God's righteousness. I think Jesus is ultimately the answer to Habakkuk's question here. Okay, Jesus reveals, yes, God can be trusted. Yes, God is righteous. Yes, it, God, Jesus vindicates God's character. And so, uh, again, Romans here, it's, it's, we need to read it uh, with Habakkuk in mind. And what's the result? Okay, God's righteousness is revealed. We're just reading on, no, no skipping of verses here. What then can we boast about? Nothing. And what is the reason for this? Is that we obey the law? No, but that we believe. Believe, trust, faith. Okay, so we believe. We trust now. For we conclude that a person is put right with God only through faith, only through trust, and not by doing what the law commands. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles only? Of course he is. God is one, and he will put the Jews right with himself on the basis of their faith, and he will put the Gentiles right through their faith. And so, um, again, I, I think what is happening here is, is Paul is saying, look, the good news is about God. And God is exactly as Jesus revealed him to be. That's the righteousness of God. What is the result of seeing God to be that way? 
Okay, I think unavoidably, it stimulates faith, trust. We put our trust in God. So what, what um, God is asking Habakkuk to do, okay, put your trust in me, even though things don't make sense. Uh, here in Romans, we have evidence. Look at Jesus. Okay, can you put your trust in Jesus? I mean, don't we have more evidence than Habakkuk for putting our trust in God? Okay, and so I think the, the wait for it, what, are, what is Habakkuk waiting for? Okay, it is ultimately, I think, uh, um, God's revelation in Jesus Christ. And just read on. It's all about uh, did God reveal his righteousness to stimulate trust? And so we have an example here of Abraham. What was his experience? Okay, how was Abraham put right? Abraham believed or trusted God, and because of his faith, God accepted him as righteous. Okay, so uh, it's such a, a key central theme. God winning our trust. Okay, so I think, um, you know, during the last two years, we've, I think, many times pursued uh, an intellectual argument for the problem of sin, suffering, and evil. You know, we've talked about um, freedom and free will and why didn't God destroy Satan. And, you know, but, but I think really all of the uh, intellectual arguments are rather hollow um, if we don't incorporate a God who suffers and a God who came and died. Um, you know, if, if you're talking with a patient who has, uh, is going through a difficult time, it, uh, you know, it's probably not good to bring up, okay, well, there was a war in heaven, and God couldn't destroy Satan for these reasons, and we have free will. Uh, that, that's not going to be very meaningful. I think it is meaningful if we incorporate all of those explanations, and along with it, we incorporate um, a God who became human, who served, who suffered, who died, that God himself would suffer. Um, that is touching on, I think, a, an explanation for theodicy uh, that, that is important. I think Habakkuk, perhaps many others in the Old Testament, have wanted God to vanquish evil by using power. You know, going up the escalator, asserting power, destroying evil, and making things right that way. And it's quite remarkable when you think about it, that God's method of vanquishing evil was actually to go exactly the opposite direction. You know, you consider God became a human and died, and that that is the solution to the problem of evil, that God, instead of destroying his enemies, uh, would choose to die for them. It, it's very counterintuitive, and I think as we read last time, Isaiah's description, who would have thought that God's saving power would look like this? Um, unanticipated. Okay, that's, I think, the shocking revelation that uh, perhaps um, Habakkuk wasn't prepared for. But I think, uh, I think, again, we have a lot more evidence for putting our trust in God than Habakkuk. All right, let's pray. <clears throat> Father, thank you so much for um, just an incredible book that points us to Jesus Christ as the revealer of your goodness, your character, your righteousness. Uh, once again, we, uh, it would seem, have so much more evidence about who you are based on your life and death on earth. And just pray that uh, you would not let that story become um, something that uh, we, we have no response or reaction to. Make it vivid in our minds. Help it to make an impression on us that the revelation of your character in Jesus uh, becomes the, the center of our reality. Amen.